0: The days of annual marketing campaign planning are long gone. B2B marketing moves way too fast these days. New trends, more data, and faster insights. But that doesn't make planning for upcoming marketing campaigns any easier. It's overwhelming, and if you don't know what you're doing, it can kind of be paralyzing. B2B marketing teams are just finishing up their 2023 plans right now. And if you haven't locked down your 2023 plans yet, you better get a move on it. Now it's time to get real tactical and start your campaign planning. On today's episode of DGU, we're bringing on first-time guests Brittany Blanken and Silvio Perez. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right, Silvio, Brittany, I can't believe we haven't had you on DGU yet, so I'm pretty pumped for this. And I think I'm more pumped for a joke that I have no idea what you're going to tell me, so let's hear it.
1: Guys, I'm starstruck to be here. I should used that
0: when Jason was on the episode. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) You get it? I'm really pumped to be here. Honestly, though, really excited.
0: (laughs) Love it. Amazing. So a little funny story on how this episode came about. So with the demand community that we have, and if you are listening and not in there, get on it. We'll make sure that the link to register is in the uh, episode recap. We were basically trying to ask people what questions they wanted us to cover in a previous episode. And it was more around 2023 planning, but like I probably got 10 questions that came in that were really, really tactical about campaign planning. So it's our podcast, we can do whatever we want. And uh, we basically turned this into a new episode where we're going to get real tactical with people who know how to really do this well. Uh, And I'm pretty excited about it. So let's just start, I guess, at a high level first, and then we'll get in the weeds. So uh, campaign planning, you know, Silvio, when you hear campaign planning, do you get PTSD, like what's the first thing that comes to mind to you
2: when you hear campaign planning? I just visualize the word overthinking. That's the that's oh, marketers market.
0: who would do that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that's obviously extremely important, but it's not as complicated, I think, as people try to make it out to be.
0: All right. I love that. I'm not going to have you explain that yet because I got to get Brittany to answer and chime in first. Brittany, when you hear campaign planning, what do you think of?
1: I get pumped. I get so excited. Like, oh, all the new things. And maybe a dash of overthinking, too. I would definitely agree with Silvio. Um, I, for one, can probably overthink a lot of things, especially when it comes to campaign planning. But my initial thought is excitement.
0: So let's start with, the, I guess, the bad things first. Like, Why do B2B marketers overcomplicate campaign planning?
1: I think we tend to over complicate campaign planning because there's so many elements that go into it, right? And it's so easy to overthink, like Silvio said. And to be quite honest, if you have a dashboard or a mission control board, if you will, with all these shiny objects and KPIs, sometimes you get overwhelmed with what KPIs you should look at in order to guide you to the next step.
0: I dig it. And we're going to get into the KPIs later. Silvio, your take.
2: We're B2B marketers. We like to overcomplicate things. (laughs) You know, but but honestly, it's, it's just kind of, at the end of the day, I, you can't be a pro without a process. That's kind of how I look at it. And if you don't have a process of how you do things, then you're going to allow yourself to overthink because you don't have some sort of structure in place to help guide you through that and you know allow you to move from one step to the next. So if anybody takes anything away, just from the start of the episode is, whatever you decide your campaign plan is, however simple or complicated you want it to be, agree as a team what that is, and then just follow it and iterate on it over time. So at least you have those guardrails. You can't
0: be a pro without a process. That was amazing. Did you make that up on the spot?
2: Yeah.
1: I love it.
0: Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do, and it's it might be a little tough to, to stay true to this because we're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to talk about how to get started with campaign planning. Uh, we'll get tactical and look at kind of frameworks and you know processes like the pros that Silvio uh are talking about or is talking about and then we'll get into uh how to work cross-functionally when it comes to campaign planning and then one of the most important parts that I think is usually overlooked is is selling it internally so those are the big buckets that we're gonna kind of talk through today but before we worry about any of those other ones how do you get started so Brittany, let's kick it over to you first. Like, when you start for campaign planning, like, what are your first few steps?
1: Right, such a great question. To be quite honest, it's really an ongoing process for me, um, and so it really is dependent on what signals I'm getting from the market or from my team at that time. Um, and so I really like to iterate and use like three distinct like sprint modes, if you will. So, kind of this first sprint mode is planning and analyzing what's working, what's not, why. And my sprints are typically blocked into two-week sprints. Um, the second one would be like creating and iterating. That's where you really dive into this classical idea of create a uh, campaign building. And then three is dedicating time for launching. It takes time. I uh, I definitely oversimplify the launch part because there's so many elements that go into it. So launching and then monitoring it because you can have a killer campaign That you launch and then two days later, it's getting the traction a lot quicker than you want to. So, you want to build in some time to double down and maybe launch some new experiments um, adjacent to it. So, um, overall, it's an ongoing process for me. Um, But, two, there's also like distinct timeframes too. For instance, we're approaching 2023. So, this is classically the time that I will say, sit down and go, okay, what worked well this year? What didn't? So, some of the things that kind of come up for me is, what are the business needs that I'm trying to solve? Like, and how can my campaigns help alleviate some of that stuff? So as an example, like um, outside of just timely things that are coming up, like new year, new quarter, I also think about, Hey, do we have a new product offering coming? Um, Do we have a new market that we're, we're going after, whether it's um, a new industry or a legit new location or Are there significant signs going on like in the economy or in the world in general that might be affecting my messaging? So I don't want to beat the drum here, but uh, macroeconomics, (laughs) economic downturns. Oh,
0: I was terrible (laughs) at that class in college. I know. Now I'm getting PTSD. (laughs) Yeah, I'm getting PTSD. All right, Brittany, keep
1: going. So those are like like the signals. But then ultimately, it should be for me. It's an iterative process.
0: Love that. And then one quick question for you, Brittany, before I kick it back over to Silvio. When you talk about campaign planning, like how far out are you planning? I would probably guarantee you're not doing 12 months out, right?
1: Hell no. (laughs) It really depends depends how quickly or how fast your organization is running. Um, I've been in high growth startups for the majority of my career, and I only typically plan out 60 to 90 days out to give me time to adjust and flex of what is What is my market telling me so that I can bake it in and adjust accordingly?
0: I love that. I think with most marketing, it's good to have a sense of what you want to accomplish over the next six months, but like months four, five, six, don't really plan too much for that and then just get really solid for 90 days. I dig that. Silvio, what about you?
2: Where do you usually get started with campaign planning? The first step is strategy. You have to understand high level, 10,000 foot view. So it's kind of like you need some prerequisites before you can actually get into the tactical stuff, which is planning your actual campaign. So first is the strategy. What are we trying to accomplish? Right? Where does this campaign that I'm planning fit into the bigger picture? I think that's really important. Because if you don't do that, then it's very easy to fall into the trap of building without the sake of direction, you kind of lose it along the way. So just kind of touch base with reality, they call that the hamster wheel. Yeah, the hamster wheel. Exactly. <laughs> Where does this fit? You know, essentially, uh, the second thing is your goal what are you trying to do are you trying to drive pipeline are you trying to create demand you know where where does that fall on the you know on the spectrum and then from there what is the available budget based on your available budget certain channels will or will not be available for you right uh certain cost per clicks won't be acceptable etc so what is the budget and then finally just what is the time frame which will highly dictate how long you have to actually plan and in startup land, it's usually, you know, to Brittany's point, it's, it's never 12 months. It's, I got a couple of months. If you're lucky, uh, you have a couple of months. It, most, most of the time, it's like, hey, we need to launch a campaign in 14 days. Uh, <laughs> we got to hit our, our number. What are we going to do? So the budget and the time frame. So once you know your strategy, once you know your, your goals, you know your budgets, you know your time frames. Then from there, I would say, take it a step further and actually develop a hypothesis. So once you were going to say something, I'll stop. I'll rant. No, I was just going to say sometimes 14 days is actually a luxury.
0: Like I've had time (laughs) uh, or times where I've had to launch campaigns in less than 14 days. So that's actually not the
2: worst.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's always fun when you say, hey, I needed it yesterday.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's like me right now with playbooks. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, you know, just to recap, you got your strategy, you got your goals, you know, your budget, you know, your time frame. The next step is try to start to ideate, right? So now I start to brainstorm ideas. Uh, ideas are great, but what I found in my experience to take it even a step further is if you take that idea and you write it into a hypothesis. And the reason why is because... Let's talk about that. I like that. when you When you transform the idea into a hypothesis, it really forces you to define the problem that you're trying to solve, which is... You know, we all have great ideas. There's no shortage of them, but it's really easy to kind of, and I've learned this, especially so being in the product team, you have all these different ideas, and then it's easy to kind of lose sight of, wait, what's the real problem we're solving for? So I'll give you a small example right now on the product side. We're building playbooks, which is like a newer thing in metadata. And the primary goal with playbooks is to enable customers to be more successful in terms of launching campaigns, so on and so forth. Because we've had conversations of leveraging playbooks for marketing right? But the real problem we're trying to solve is helping customers, not necessarily acquiring new customers. So by really writing that out, it helps you frame yourself so that the ideas that you have, now you've turned them into hypotheses. They're all geared towards actually solving that core, you know, and reaching that core goal, if you will. And then adding on to that, when you structure your hypotheses, it's usually like, you know, if we do this, then I expect this by this time frame. it really gets you to really think through as well, like what are the resources required to execute that idea, which is super powerful. And if you also structured in that way later on, when it comes to selling the actual plan to your executives, they tend to think that way. So it makes it even easier. Uh, and then just one final piece on the hypothesis stuff. I can nerd out about that all day is you can also no. you score it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can rank and score your hypotheses as well. Right. So like. Now you have a bunch of ideas, but you can run them through a framework. Like the one that I love is is called the RICE model, which is reach, impact, confidence, and effort. What's the potential reach of this idea, right? This campaign that we'll launch, what's the potential impact, how confident we are that that's gonna actually happen. And then what is the effort involved? So now when you have that all said and done, it allows you to execute the most effective idea based on this criteria and you kind of remove the, the bias associated with it, right? Like if I personally love LinkedIn ads, I'm going to choose LinkedIn by nature versus somebody else likes, you know, SEO, they might choose something like content SEO related, etc. You know?
0: Yeah, I love the, uh, the hypothesis call out because I had never really done that prior to working at metadata, we were using G campaigns, uh, the crazy experimentation framework, we did an episode on that before. And it forces you it's like, one of those things, like, why wasn't, why wasn't I thinking about that before? Why, why was I skipping that step? And it really forces you to focus on why are you trying to launch this campaign in the first place and like what that problem is. And I think yep. it's one of those things that because people just, you know, launch campaigns and launch campaigns onto the next one that they lose sight of that. So it's
2: important to not skip it. Yeah, you have to slow down so you can speed up at the end of the day. And like the biggest advantage startups have over the incumbents in the space is the ability to outlearn. So if you take that time to just and it doesn't even take long, you'll take five seconds, and you write out your hypotheses and you. That also allows you to create a library of learnings because then you can have this, the way I did in the past is I just had this massive Google doc, as simple as that. And I just had hypotheses listed out. And then with your hypotheses, you usually have like a start and end date, right? Which you do with your campaigns. So you know, hey, did it work? Did it not? What did we learn from it? And you can always build on that library of learnings. I dig it. Artie, let's get tactical now.
0: Okay, so Brittany, your next campaign that you're going to be launching at Metadata, what are the most important things that you're thinking of and and what are you, you know, trying to get down in a brief or on paper or Google Doc? Yeah,
1: for sure. To echo Sylvia's so point, I look at like a few major things. So the biggest thing is I step back and look at the audience, like how big is my TAM? Um, I think that's really crucial to look at, especially when you're forming campaigns. And then where are they, where are they living and breathing, like digitally or in person? Because um, that's going to help you understand where can you connect with them. Um, another thing I always take in mind is the deal size um, of the company I'm with. Uh, there's a major difference between if your deal size is seven k versus one hundred k, because that will dictate not only what channels you can start leveraging, but also the margins you can play within. Um, so just take that into consideration. So for instance, if your deal size is on the lower end, all right, well then you might be limited to what channels you can profit profitably use and scale. Um, and another big one is the sales cycle, right? So that's really an indicator of how quickly can you prove ROI with these campaigns? If you have a small enough sales cycle, you could start, you might be able to leverage some uh, channels as if you maybe have a longer sales cycle, might be a little bit more convoluted. So those are big factors just from a macro perspective to keep in mind when you're thinking about campaign mix. But once you've done your, done your data um, analysis, you kind of have a really good feel of your go-to-market motion. Um, where I start is keeping it simple. I think marketers, again, overcomplicate this shit out of everything. I love this. And we Get on your soapbox. We <laughs> want to do too many things, me included? Um, we want to boil the ocean because that to us, at least for me, that's the quickest way for return, right? It's actually wrong. So keeping it simple, the biggest thing that I like to use is the Bullseye Framework. And that is a framework that forces you to prioritize Mm -hmm. your most profitable or like big bets that you want to take from your campaigns, especially when you're looking at campaigns from a channel perspective. So Bullseye Framework comes from uh, the book Traction, look it up, it's great. Uh, But the idea there, it's just a bullseye. So on the outskirts of the bullseye, those are kind of like all of your channels or possible channels that you can kind of deploy to get in front of your TAM, your ICP, et cetera. And then you've got two other layers. And so that middle layer is your probable channels. Those are channels that they could give you some really good impact, some ROI. They're feasible. They make sense to you. And then that smaller channel right in the middle, the bullseye, are those top three or four channels that you should spend the most time on or all of your time on to get the most return. So those are the Highest impact, highest opportunity for the most impact um that you should put be putting your time in. And then once you really zone in and focus in, great, this is where I'm, this is where we're headed, it makes it really easy to say no to things and really easy to go deeper on the things that work.
0: I love that. Silvio, do you use the Bullseye framework? I actually never heard. Of I that don't, before.
2: but uh I when you're outlining it, I just the first thing on top of my head was like, you know, when you're listing out all the potential channels, if somebody's going through that exercise, and they don't have a lot of channels to list out, that also can probably point out that they have a concentration risk in their mm. marketing mix. They're yes. too dependent on one thing. And that's probably a good indication of like, hey, let's start to test different things start to expand our channel reach. So that way they do have the flip side of that problem, which is we got too many freaking channels <laughs> around this bullseye uh, to, to help us kind of narrow our focus. That's huge. love that
0: now silvio when you're uh planning for a campaign
2: like what are the first few big things that you're looking at yeah so assuming i have the like i have a brand new client you know when i was consulting go through the strategy the goal Which, hold on by the way you got an ad conversion hoodie on you probably should take that off this is a metadata pop- <laughs> thing no, i'm kidding uh- <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> so You know, assuming so when I when I would do consulting full time, like I would always take clients through a similar process. So it was number one, what's the strategy, right? Get a lay of the land, go from there, the goals, budget time frame. From there, we start to map out all our ideas, list them out as hypotheses, rank those hypotheses on like, what do we want to get started with? And then also while you do that too, it's because you go through the effort piece with the framework, you start to notice who are the stakeholders that need to be involved as well. So with all that said and done, now getting into the actual tactical stuff, uh, it starts off with the structure. So, you know, bare minimum, what's the naming convention that we're going to use? How are we going to name our actual campaign so that it makes and it really to easy for a, us?
0: For one sec, this yeah. was actually one of the questions that came into the community. Uh, how do you structure campaigns? So get back on your soapbox.
2: Yeah. So, you know, like naming campaign, campaigns is such a simple thing when you think about it, but it's like a huge thing. Uh, and you realize it's a huge thing when you start to download campaign reports and you start to filter and try to find your campaigns. That's when it becomes critical. Oh, cool. Uh, PTSD. You know, <laughs> fa- based on how you name the campaign, you can't find it because it like contains this or not, et cetera. So yeah, how you name your campaign. So just calling, like throwing this out there for everybody listening, a simple campaign naming convention that I've followed for a long time is you start off with the region, then the targeting, then the channel, and then the offer. Really simple. So like NA, uh, let's say NA, LinkedIn you know, member skills as an example, and then um, you know, demo requests or something like that. So region t- targeting channel offer. And that's like a really simple framework. And then if it's Google ads, you could even add in like match type or like device. You can get crazy with it if you want, but whatever you decide, it's really important that you all agree on it. This is also especially true if you have multiple people working within the same ad account. When I used to work in agencies, we'd have like 10 account managers in the same account you can only imagine how easy it is to, to get uh, messy, right? So assuming you have your naming conventions down from there, on the structure piece is just like the tags, the labels kind of thinking through that, like, really, how are you going to organize this, if it's LinkedIn, what campaign groups are you going to use to so kind of get the house cleaning in order and just kind of make sure everything's good there. From there, it kind of goes into the targeting. So how are we going to actually get in front of our ideal customer, so kind of converting your customer persona into an ad persona. So what does the actual audience look like that you're going to deploy against? Because you have in your mind who you want to go after, but you have to abide by the limitations of the channel that you're going to execute on. So for example, I might want to get in front of using metadata as an example, I might want to get in front of B2B marketing leaders. But then I go into a channel like Twitter, and I don't have LinkedIn targeting on Twitter. So what is that going to look like in terms of the best bet to try to get me in front of those people. Uh, And then once you've kind of squared that away, I would say the opposite is true. So you know, your ideal customer, and then taking the flip side of that of who is your worst customer. So that can inform exclusion audiences. So you can start to build up your exclusion list. So kind of thinking of the inverse, right? I love that. Brittany, Silvio just dropped a bunch of bombs on us.
0: Uh, do you want to respond back? Any thoughts on that? I thought some of that was interesting and new to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, he hits the nail on the head. Silvio is awesome. Um, I would definitely iterate the naming convi- conventions, especially when you're coming into a new account or you're structuring a completely different strategy. And not that uh, uh, pertains to both paid and non-paid channels, right? Um, because it all goes back down to how do we, we report on this at the end of the day? Um, so that's it, that was a huge takeaway. I love that Sylvia, you mentioned it. Um
0: yeah. So next question for you, and Brittany, maybe we'll start with you. Campaign briefs, is that something that you use? Uh and if you do, I'll have a a few questions for you. This is a safe space. So if you don't use it, this is also fine.
1: Woo! For like 95% of my campaigns, there's a brief. I will say there's 5% where I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok. And I'm like, holy hell, let's go. I know it. And it just comes out. Um,
0: Well, usually that happens when you send me ads that you see on Instagram. We actually do this all the time. This is hilarious. So walk us through what's in your brief. Yeah. Uh, Walk us through marketing brains never shut off. Uh, Walk us through what your brief looks like and the things that you include in the brief.
1: Yeah, that's such a great idea. The first thing is, what's the goal? What are we trying to achieve here? Um, is it creating trust creating demand in the market is it capturing demand okay getting people to actually elicit a response or raise their hand um is it to drive uh ebook downloads if that's your thing right what is that goal so number one the goal um number two is okay what is the adequate audience do we need to build new audiences um and then from the audiences okay what is our what are those levers or channels that we can deploy? Again, if we're only talking about paid, cool. LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, Reddit, shout out, Quora. What are those? Oh, and then also, what are some complimentary channels that we can actually build on too? Is there a complimentary email campaign that we can tack onto it? Um, is there a LinkedIn DM from the SDR or AE? Only like thinking about that holistic uh, approach really helps me because it can give you. Uh, my campaign a lot more legs and stamina, if you will. Um, So we've got goal, we've got audience, we've got channel, and then we've got, okay, what is the actual messaging? So typically for each campaign, I like to start out with three headlines. What are those headlines that I want to use first when it comes to paid campaigns? Um, So I'll start with campaign headlines. Um, What works? What's going to hook someone? What's going to just like drop uh, drop their jaw, if you will? Um, And then from there, I go to um, creating the creative itself. So what's that visual, which is going to stop them in their tracks. And then once I see that, I'm such a visual person. and I think a lot of marketers are. Once I kind of see that, I will export the assets and upload them into a preview. Um, Metadata does this really well for me. So once I kind of see like the medium is the message sometimes, like, how does this ad look in my LinkedIn newsfeed? How does this ad look in TikTok? Like, I actually want to see it to see, like, okay, now what do I say? Because that will dictate what I say in my headline and my post text. Um, it'll also dictate what's in my form. Does this is is this clunky? Um, it just really helps me walk through the process. Um, and then I'll define the copy, the headline, and then we'll move through. So that is a very very high level, but a way of how I put my briefs together.
0: So we should probably try and link out to the brief template. We can create one and uh, include it in the the recap. That'd be awesome. Silvio, are you
2: a campaign brief guy or no? And truthfully, I I never have been that, organized as far as campaign. this is awesome because
0: Brittany's organized as hell and New York Yeah, no, So how do you wing it? Let's go.
2: And I think it's, you know, this is where it's, it's nice to have both of us here because she comes from, you know, Brittany's working internally, right? With metadata. For me, it was working with multiple clients at a time, usually. So to try to get them to fill out briefs was just so unpractical. So for me, like, I guess my brief was I get on a Zoom call with them, and then I run them through my my questions and my framework. And then from there, I kind of go and uh, I used to do it just in Google Sheets. And I would just map everything out in Google Sheets of all the information that I need. But that's definitely, I think, the way to go. If you do, you know, you are running ads at your own organization, you want to scale it up and get more inputs. That's amazing because you can share that brief around and you can get feedback and opinions. And, uh, that you know, that's definitely the way to go. So I respect it
0: because... You hear from these thought leaders on LinkedIn that say, oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. Here are two people that know what they're doing and they take wildly different approaches and it still works at the end of the day. So I guess one question for you, Silvio, before we start moving on that Google sheet that you're talking about, what are some of the, the, you know, types of information or like columns or rows? Like, what are you
2: trying to get in there? Uh, when you're, you know, coming up with new campaigns? Yeah, it, it literally is like the entire campaign process, A to Z. So going back to number one, there was like different tabs for different pieces of information. So it was the strategy, the goals, the budget, the time frame, And then there was like a more uh, tactical tab around like the actual campaign creation, which is like the name of the campaigns, the, uh, you know, the, the channels that we're gonna deploy on that we're thinking, a section for messaging and creative, what's the type of ad that we're gonna use, because that's gonna dictate what type of copy we need to write. Are we gonna use a conversation ad or an image ad or a video ad, so on and so forth. What's the uh, creative type required? So that way we can already start to put in that request with our designer or our editor, whoever it might be, depending on the asset required. Uh, and then very important, which is the measurement side. So what are the UTM tags that we're going to use on these links? Because that's like the one thing that everybody forgets. And then it's yes time sir. to launch the campaign, you know? And then you're like, oh, crap, we're not tracking anything. And our I feel, like you, I feel like you don't learn that until you make the mistake yeah. that you just said. And everybody learns it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just take it from us, like, prioritize it, it's, it's gonna save you a lot of headache. And then also too is just on the messaging creative section is the offer. What are we actually promoting? Right? What's, you know, is it a demo request? Is it a piece of content, so on and so forth. Um, and then something that I do a little bit different than than usual is I always kind of associate going back to the strategy, I always associate my campaigns based on a certain stage. So I kind of do everything based on the five stages. So Create, Capture, Accelerate, Revive, Expand. So then from there, it's like these are all campaigns. Can, that fit so into this can budget. you actually, I know it's second
0: nature to you. Can you walk us through those stages? Because another one of the questions that we got from the demand
2: community was on this exact topic. Yeah, so Create is building brand affinity and trust. And I say brand affinity and trust, not just brand awareness. It's, it's deeper than that. You actually are trying to create an audience. That's how I see it. Capture is all about, hey, we've got people that are they know they have a problem and they're just looking for a solution. How do we convert those hand raisers? And that could be people that came from your damn man creation campaigns. That could be people from Google search, paid review, you know, uh, different things like that. could even just be like uh, referrals that, you know, they know they have a problem. And, you know, somebody put you in contact, so on and so forth. From there, we've captured demand. We want to revive that demand. So this is basically deals that were lost. How do we get those back in? Uh, you know, and get them open and help sales out. So that's where you could do very personalized campaigns. This is where like incentivized offers could be really worthwhile. And this is something I always tell metadata customers when they're on the fence, they're like, oh, I want to do, in- I don't know if I want to do incentives for everybody, you know, quality things like that. I'm like, well, hey, how about you just start prioritizing the people that already started a sales conversation with you, but they, you know, closed loss due to timing or price or whatever the case might be, right? Like, that's a great audience to just get started with. And it's going to be a much smaller audience size, so it's not going to take a lot of budget to play against. So create, capture, revive, accelerate is, hey, we have these deals being worked. Can we stay in front of them and help sales move those deals faster through our pipeline? So this is where, you know, doing things like promoting social proof in feed against these open opportunities is really powerful. Getting your CSM to film a video saying like, hey, future metadata customer, you know, we're really excited to have you on board. Uh, this is what you can expect. Things like that. If you can allow that person to already experience what it's gonna be like to be a customer and work with you, the better it's gonna be in your favor at actually getting that deal to close, right? Uh, and then also too, handling objectives preemptively through acceleration campaigns is really powerful. So we always kind of get the same objections. Can we create content that answers those objections and then push it to those open opportunities? It's kind of meta when you think about it, cause like they might be going through that objection and then they see it in their feed, like- and It's it not answers- meta,
0: it's good marketing. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And then finally is expand, right? How do we how do we get more revenue from existing customers? How can we incentivize customers? How can we build like, you know, affiliate programs, things like this to try to drive more revenue from our existing base? So by breaking it out in those five stages and in the demand conference, my whole presentation was about this. It was about the five different stages. And look at that, look at that plug. You must be in marketing. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been in marketing. What is this? <laughs> yeah so you know, definitely recommend checking that out. but but, by breaking down these five stages, you realize you have so many more uh, areas of the business that you can make an impact because as marketers we we tend to especially I'm so guilty of this as like an acquisition marketer, you know in advertising. I'm always thinking top of funnel, you know, drive net new. but like those are three other critical stages that you can actually make a difference.
1: Yes. I, I, will saying I was I was one that fell into that bucket too. And then when I was talking to Silvio and he introduced me to this these five layers, something to keep in mind though, when you're activating the accelerate, revive, and expand, when you're trying to prove that to your leadership team, it's going to be the similar conversation of, okay, well, how do we prove the ROI for demand creation? It's going to be that similar dance that you're going to be doing. So just make sure you know that when you want to deploy those campaigns that you have those measurement, um, I guess KPIs in place, but you also know that there's not, there might not be direct correlation or attribution, but it's worth it, especially when it comes to, you know, demand creation. You get that, so just apply that same logic to some of the other ones that we mentioned.
2: For everyone on the line that struggles with proving marketing's impact in any way, shape, or form, one of the easiest things that you can do as a marketing leader or You know, somebody under your marketing leader try to get them to do. And I learned this from Marcel. He's like one of the best CMOs I've ever worked with. And he taught me. He's like one of the most simple things you can do as a leader is every month, every quarter, look at blended acquisition. So meaning paid and organic and total ad spend, and use that as just like an overall health check of your function. And if you know overall your blended cost per opportunity is going down and opportunities created is going up you're doing a good job like keep doing it you're you know congrats and most people that I talk to just in my experience especially metadata customers that really struggle answering that question is because they don't have visibility into something as simple as what I just described and they reporting from the bottom most up most probably don't yeah exactly
0: I love that are we doing that Brittany because if we're not I think we're going to steal an idea from Silvio and start doing that <laughs>
1: We are. Silvio has already gotten me to this point. It's been amazing.
0: (laughs) I love it. Uh, So, you mentioned leadership and selling to leadership on all this stuff. We'll get to that here in a second. Before we jump to that, let's talk about working cross functionally. And we've got a very small and lean team here at Metadata. So, you're pretty much working with everyone on the marketing team, but Brittany, whether it's at MetaData or previous jobs, just walk me through how you're working. You know, with other teams that you rely on to get campaigns out the door.
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So first things first is, what's the messaging, right? What messaging are we trying to go after? And so depending on the ICP, I'm lucky that we're marketing to marketers, right? So I'll gut check some of the messaging with my colleagues or with other marketers that I know. When I was selling marketing a sales uh, tool. I went directly to my sales team. Hey, would you resonate with this? So I use um, my network, if you will, to gut check the messaging. Um, don't be afraid to ask stupid questions because you're not going to get stupid answers. Um, and then also number two is, okay, once I get a good idea of um, how the messaging might, be, might resonate and what's been working in the past based off just data, um, I then move towards, okay, what's the execution look like after this? Say this um, campaign we launched is successful, then what? How do we actually guide these people and get them on a call? Um, And so really ironing out, okay, someone fills out a form. Okay, great. Who's notified? Okay, the SDRs or my my AEs are going to be notified. How are they going to be notified? Do they know the difference between a demo request versus someone wanting to know more about pricing? Like, is that in my CRM? Like really opening up the operations of it all to make sure it makes sense to everyone else. Um, And then giving my team a heads up, hey, this is what's coming. If you see this coming through and you have specific lead source details, UTMs that you can pipe into your CRM. I love creating looms. I actually got that from you, Mark, of just walking them through. Hey, this is the new campaign that's about to launch in a few days. This is the goal. This is the offer. This is who we're targeting it to. Walk them through and you can open it up to questions because nine times out of 10, their questions are super valid valid. And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I forgot that. Or let me go back and change it. Um, so validating the process from form fill to okay, it's actually handed off to the next team. Everything's streamlined, everything makes sense. Those are the two big things that I um, I definitely look at.
2: Yeah, not to not to toot metadata's horn, but of you know, looking at all these different companies and, you know, kind of working in them. Metadata, the one thing that we do to give ourselves props, and this is all Brittany and, and you know team, is the alignment across departments is insane. You know, everyone is lockstep. and like we always get so much positive feedback of, hey, I had such a great you know uh, demo experience. from the moment I filled out your chat bot to I actually became, you know, I was talking to Ashley or, or you know Jack or somebody like that in, in the team. And like having that alignment across your teams is going to allow you to execute so much better and allow you to create more effective campaigns, because now you're getting input from people from the front lines, your salespeople, right? If anybody knows your customer, it's most likely your your sales team, right? And your product team. So you can rely on them for those insights and your CSMs, of course. So yeah, I think that's a huge point to call out. So that way you want it to be as seamless as possible from the moment the person signs up to they get on that call, right? And I
0: don't know if it's because we market to marketers, but this is the story that I've told myself for the two plus years that I've been here. I think our audience just expects the best possible experience at the end of the day. Like they have a really high bar and because we're marketing to marketers, like we have to set that bar. So that's why we hold ourselves accountable to like delivering that sort of experience. And it, you know, it's stressful, it's uh, difficult, but I think it makes it all the more worthwhile when you get an unsolicited email reply from somebody that says exactly what you said at the beginning, Silvio. It was like, this was awesome. Like, how do you do this? It's like, you know, they're flattered.
2: I think it's cool. Yeah. No, we, marketing to marketers is like the highest, one of the highest bars, if you will, in terms of difficulty of marketing, because they know all the tricks. Imagine from an advertising standpoint, you have to be even better. Because they know what you're doing. Oh, I know I'm in your remarketing audience metadata. Good job. You know what I mean? Like, they they know all that stuff. So it's like, you have to do so much more to even make a difference and stand out. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I used to like, advertise to equipment managers, it was like, you know, basic things. And you know, they're great people, but they're not as technical, you know, so it was like, Gated content in feed. This is amazing. You know, like everybody's just losing their mind, you know, like, (laughs) I can't believe this, you know, versus marketers are like, I've submitted my email address a thousand times. Don't you dare ask me. Yeah. So obviously the industry you're going after, the sophistication and what's expected will dramatically differ.
0: Now, Brittany, to kick it back to you, you mentioned uh, really marketing this and selling this to leadership and getting, you know, leadership on board. So how do you work with, you know, leadership at Metadata and previous companies when kind of selling the the plan to them? Because I think a lot of marketers forget to do that. And if you forget, it kind of makes it that kind of, it makes it that much more difficult.
1: Oh, 1,000%. At the end of the day, marketing, at first, you've got to get points on the scoreboard. Like you are here to drive business results. So aligning of what you're saying and talking to them about, should align to the business results at the end of the day. So is that revenue, Is that pipeline, figure that out. And the faster you can figure that out, the more tailored you can be to what you're presenting them. Um, And it comes back to the plan, right? What's the overarching goal? What's working? What's not? Um, And so, and being proactive about it. Hey, I know that our biggest churn rate is X. Here's what I think we should do to address this in a campaign, whether it's paid or not, right? Um, Being proactive about it. But then two, being proactive about, hey, this is what we're doing for the next two to three weeks, right? You don't want to over-inundate them, but this is the plan. And guess what? This is, what's, this is the why behind it. I think uh, explaining the why behind the logic of why you're doing these things, why you're being proactive, um, why are these campaigns taking a different route than others? Why are we talking about this instead of this? Telling that story is really going to be important for leadership because nine times out of 10, if you are demand gen manager, demand gen director, you're rolling up into a VP who needs to sit into a board meeting, who needs to sit into a leadership meeting, and they need those bite-sized pieces They get the point across, but connect to the bottom line.
0: I love that. Silvio, I know you are in a different role now and you've been working with metadata customers and consulting on the side and whatnot, but how have you done this in the past when trying to sell this to leadership? I don't know
2: who said this, but it wasn't me. But it's a really great quote stuck with me. It's like,
0: <laughs> say it's your <her> quote.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm too honest. Uh, <laughs> it's sales is the transference of certainty. Right, the more certain you can make somebody, the the more likely they will be in terms of closing that sale. So when it comes to selling your VP, your boss, whoever you're trying to make them as certain as possible that the idea that you're pitching is actually gonna be worthwhile and yield into whatever the goal is. So the number one thing that people fall short of that I, I've noticed, especially in the product team, because we're trying to sell ideas all the time of like, here's the features that we want, et cetera. And we're rolling up to Gil. So you're always selling, it doesn't matter what team you're on. And he's tough and, to sell to. <laughs> and he is definitely tough to sell to, absolutely. So the first thing is to, to rein, like, reiterate the goal. One of the biggest traps that I see people fall into is they start off with like, we have a winter campaign and it's six months long and the budget is this and that and that. No, 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 no. Like Brittany said, it. Bottom line: start off with the goal and reiterate it to them. We have a goal of reaching a million dollars in pipeline over the next ninety days, right? So you start off with that, and then from there, this is where I think really having those hypotheses and having a scoring framework becomes even more powerful because you can be like, we generated six ideas in which that we ranked into you know we transferred into these hypotheses and we ranked them based on the rice framework and these three had the highest probability in terms of impact reach effort confidence right you already start there your vp is going to be like i made the right choice hiring this person you know what i mean like think about the certainty that they will have already just starting off that way and then from there it's okay you know here's the goal, here's what we think is gonna best solve it based on not our bias, but based on our criteria. And then finally, here's the esp- estimated time frame that we think it'll take to actually deploy against this. And then finally, here's the budget required. And then if you can take it a step further and also say, hey, here is the upside, if this idea goes well, if we think upside this idea goes well, we can achieve 100% of our goal or 60% of our goal, right? Like be as realistic possible. And then also, what's the downside? Hey, if this doesn't go well, well, we only sunk 10 grand on X, Y, and Z. And if you paint that story like that, again, you're gonna transfer that certainty to them and they're gonna be so much more likely to say, yes, let's do it, Uh, let's move forward with that. And think about the ammunition you just gave them to then go talk to the board and the CEO.
1: Yes, forecasting is major. If you can say, hey, this is the plan and this is where we expect to be, huge.
0: Well, and I think when you do that and you show leadership that you are thinking about all of these different considerations, that's how you earn a seat at the table and you get involved in those conversations and can drive those conversations instead of just being a fly on the wall. So, um, my brain hurts after both of those answers, but,
2: uh, I feel like I'm learning a lot when I, when I got into uh, marketing so I, I started off as like an entrepreneur, right? So I kind of always identify as an entrepreneur first, is that and what my- they call a DJ? <laughs> I had 5 DJs underneath me so I had employees <laughs> <laughs> and when I first started the business I literally had 3 months to make money or I have to start going on my credit card so like I think from that very early on it was kind of ingrained on me of like the you know the the idea itself is not helpful it's thinking through and like really tearing that idea apart so we have the greatest certainty of success like don't be married to your opinions be like the customer is the ultimate reality at the end of the day, and really think through all the upsides and the downsides, right?
0: So we set a demand gen you record, this is officially the longest episode that we've ever recorded. And it's a good thing. Because I think this is one of the best episodes that we've had between the conversations that you all are having stuff that I'm learning how tactical we got. So thank you for this. This was awesome. And Brittany, we got to have you back again. Uh And Silvio, I see enough of you. Just kidding. I love the <laughs> podcast.
1: <laughs> I, I would love to come back.
2: <laughs> Amazing. Well, Brittany, by the way, everybody, Brittany is like the one behind metadata, doing all the advertising, the experimentation, the making sure metadata hits pipeline and revenue targets. So, like, definitely connect with Brittany after this. And if there's anyone that you want to pick their brain, it's absolutely her. Uh, appreciate I second it, that. well thanks everybody for listening
0: and we'll catch you on demand gen U next week thanks
2: thanks so much for listening to this episode of demand gen U. if you want to hear more make sure to subscribe to get future episodes you can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by dming us on linkedin if you like the show or want to share feedback please leave us a review it'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.